Hey there, y'all. Sarah Shackett here. We have a little bit of a special treat for those of you who subscribe to the Filmmaker's Toolkit feed. Chris Ofalt, my dear co-host, recorded a conversation way back in the salad days of 2021 with Dune cinematographer Greg Fraser. We had ambitions of turning that conversation into a video um, or working on a piece with it, but it's just, the whole thing is just too good. (laughs) Um, So we decided to turn it in to a toolkit episode. So what you're going to hear is the audio of Chris's interview with Greg, um, edited to be as nice and non-glitchy as possible. Uh, but we think in this run-up to the Oscars, you're going to enjoy uh, this conversation with the cinematographer at the height of his craft and about a project that he's clearly so passionate about. So this conversation is delightful, whether you're a fan of Dune, whether you are a fan of Greg's body of work, which is as vast as Arrakis, or whether you are interested in some of the really intentional choices that can swing the tone um, and the sense of scope in a film. Uh, So we hope you enjoy it, and we'll be back in the feed soon. You love all your films, you love all your directors, but I, I got a sense maybe even as much as a year and a half ago, you were just chomping at the bit to talk about this one. I don't, it seems, I, I don't mean to say that you're not excited about everything else, but this one seems to have been both a special experience uh, in terms of the filming, but also something that work that you were just particularly proud of to get out in the world. You know, once again, not to, not to diss the other ones, but I got that no, sense at no, the time. No, 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 Well, here's the thing. When we spoke last time, I couldn't say a single thing about that or about even another movie that I might have coming up in the near future. So it's a real problem for me keeping um, keeping <laughs> quiet about things that I'm excited about. And it's a maybe, I don't know, call it a fault, call it whatever you want, but I, I just want to talk about it. But I, I know the realities of why you don't, and, of course, <laughs> I'm not going to. So yeah. that's why I need to talk about it. So, no, at that point in time, though, yeah, we, we'd come off, um, you know, really glorious experience, you know, six months approximately of, um, of, of filming in the desert or filming in the sound stages in Hungary. And, and there was quite a few times. I mean, I, I love the desert and I love Jordan, you know, and I lo- I've never been to Abu Dhabi. But I, I, I grew to love the place, just absolutely magical place. Um, the thing that really excited me from a technical perspective, I mean, we can talk about the film in a minute, obviously, but, but filming in Hungary, in Budapest, I mean, I love that city when I've shot there on commercials, but, but I really loved being there on this film. And I think everybody else did as well. Like, as far as the city goes, it's a, it's a small enough city that everyone's intimate and close, but it's a big enough city that you can kind of have a, an experience uh, whilst you're there so yeah no it, it, there was a lot to talk about and I'm and I'm super glad that we can actually talk about it and I'm allowed to I'm curious you know you've worked with a lot of a lot of great directors um, and you know a few you know I'm thinking multiple collaborations with Matt and your, your old friend Garth but I'm really curious about more than anything with Denny because I know this is a film he's lived with for a while and he's but he's such a distinct visual his worlds are so distinct I'm wondering 
when you start talking about Dune, how does he talk about these things in, in terms of the visual language? I know there's a process that you went through to get there, but, you know, I'm just very curious about what it is that, you know, how he's even speaking about it in scope and color. It, it, it fascinates me. Yeah, it, I mean, me too, you know, and as you probably know from any sort of interviews that Denis done, he he's a very passionate guy, you know, and he's, there is... There is no level of um, of salesmanship in anything that he says. Like, I, I, whenever he says something to me, like I really liked dot 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 of yours, or you know whatever. I mean, obviously he would not come out and say, "Oh well, that shot in this film I thought was a piece of you know whatever," because he's far too much of a gentleman for that. But you know when he's um, being effusive about something. You know it's totally genuine. Now that that's not that's not the entire industry. I hate to say it. You know, it's not our entire industry that we're in. You know, we've often heard uh, instances of people being disingenuous and and you know not being a hundred percent truthful when when they might say something about something. You know, and with Denis, what I loved about whatever Denis said was that you could take it on pure face value. You didn't have to read deeply into what he was saying to understand what he was saying. He was like, and this is what I loved about him and Patrice. It's a, I don't know, maybe it's a generalization, but it seems to be a French Canadian thing. And it really, it bodes well with me, but because being Australian, uh, generally I try and be the same. You know, whenever I'm in LA, I try and be as you know, if I love something, I'm effusive. If I don't, I'm not. I just, it's just, I try and be honest. And he, he, when he spoke, uh, his passion was evident and obvious. And so for me, what it, it what it meant for me was to, 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 to not really talk very much for the initial conversations. It was to listen and to understand what he'd spent the best part of 40 years planning. And that's no small feat. You know, the guy had read that you know, four decades prior and he'd spent that entire time working out what he was going to do. And, you know, being tasked with lensing that was a great honour for me. I mean, it sounds a little bit kind of um, flowery, but for me, I I didn't, that that didn't get lost on me. I understood his passion and I understood what what he wanted out of me and that's what I gave him as much as I could. I was reading somewhere... And another interview gave about initially, and I mean, this is common going out to do some tests and you guys went out to a desert somewhere outside of California to do some tests. Um, And I know part of this is figuring out format, but I have to imagine to some degree, it's also learning what he's reacting to. I wonder what, what it was because i imagine that's what it's not just okay digital's right for this or large formats right for this i i have to imagine that was i'm wondering what what you kind of learned in what he was reacting to because people have said this about him he's so few like you know what he likes you know and you know when you you know when you hit this you you know you, you know when you've hit the sweet spot and i'm curious what what it is that you learned about his vision kind of doing those tests beyond beyond the format decisions that you obviously made in that process? You know, the, the, the process of writing a script and imagining a movie is, is very different to the hard fact realities of making a movie. You know, like you, you may want to do something a certain way, but a light may not exist on the planet to do it. 
for example. You may want to do something a certain way, but the technology doesn't exist to achieve that goal. Um, obviously, in this case, we had options between film, digital, you know, whatever that might be. And, you know, I, I think Denis was exploring. He was exploring what it was that was in his mind that he actually uh, technically would fulfill that goal. And, yeah, we tested film, we tested 35, we tested IMAX film, you know, and I genuinely, genuinely, genuinely thought this film might have been a film on film, an IMAX film, you know, 65mm, uh, 8perf and maybe 65mm, 15perf. Uh, so, you know, I thought that might have been one of those those opportunities. You know, when we... When we got the images back, they were fantastic. I don't know if you've ever seen 15 perf projected, but it's just, it's a thing of joy and gloriousness. Like it's beyond, it really is. It's a thing of joy and beauty. Um, but it, it, it funny, it lacked, for us, it, it lacked a certain something that, that was intangible. I, I know that when we shot the 35 mil, Denis felt it was being too nostalgic. It was being too throwback. To, to something else, to another era. And given the fact that the design is such that if you didn't know it was set in the future and you would almost deem it to be set in the past in an alternate universe, you know, where where they could fly spaceships in the, you know, in the 19th century, 18th century or 17th century, like it potentially could have been a throwback because of the lack of technology. And so I, I think that, that combines with the fact that that we really like the way the digital negative looked, um, and then in conjunction with that, shooting it on digital, but but filming it back out to film, so that we've got a an analog base that joins the 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 the, the real photography and the VFX photography. You know, for us that was a, a really interesting idea that that would help us kind of. Um, glaze over that's a, that's that's a bad term but it would help us um join and link the the, the two mediums in that sense you know I, I i think i understand what you're saying in terms of maybe film feels um in this case almost like a precious nostalgic decision and is maybe the reverse and maybe that's not the correct way to say it, is the reverse that even though digital maybe was giving you a sense of size and scope with the, the format that you guys chose, was it also, um, you know, something about being too digital in that sense of, you know, let me go in the opposite direction. I'm thinking of Nomadland and, and Roma, two films recently, which embraced their digitalness. Do you know, so many of these digital films are about, um, trying to mess it up and, and and kind of get a little get rid of a little bit of the vividness and sharpness is that also part of it was that that there was something about maybe neither format was right like it was too much in one direction and this became a, a little bit of a, a a happy medium yeah a little bit except yes except the digital was more was more correct than film at that point you know on the pendulum of where it sits digital was more correct and remember too we we started shooting this movie from the probably the third or fourth conversation we had or sorry the third or fourth paragraph of the first conversation we had the words big theatrical experiential um like all those words were were being used because 
Denine knows the size of this story. I know the size of this story. Like I, I didn't have um, the, the history with the book that he had had, but I knew the size of this this story in this book. Like I, I knew it was that classic, that term, the unmakeable film. It's you know this thing that exists in the ether of filmmaking as if it's kind of like a, you know the 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 kind of the um, the 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 spectre that exists in a, in a, in a ghost form that no one's really able to get their hands on. And, you know, I, I know that the first, one of the first things we said was, you know, as well as we're obviously following this story of these characters, we've got to understand that this is something that we want people to go and see in the cinema. This is not a, this is not a um, small drama. You know, we, we love small dramas. I mean, Denis loves to shoot a small drama and I love to shoot a small drama. I mean, you've seen Lion and Mary and you've seen his smaller dramas. We both love the, that. We both love getting inside these characters' heads with a very small little group of people uh, behind us. But but what this gave us the opportunity to do was to create something that was the was that, but it was with an audience in mind. You know, it was thinking about what the audience needs to experience. And when we saw it in IMAX, when we saw the digital in IMAX, um, we were just like, wow, this is amazing. This is the stunning, stunning rendition of what our imagination was going to give us. So, yeah, I mean, we, we, we tried to play the format. You know, we tried to play from 240 because we're also aware, without being elitist, that, that unfortunately IMAX doesn't exist in every part of the world. You know, and it's unfortunate because these little regional centres in UK, America, Australia, Europe, you know, they, they, they're lucky to have a, a decent theatre, a decent cinema, let alone an IMAX cinema. So there are some places that we knew we were going to see it in a, in a traditional 240 format. So we had to be very mindful of that. And our, both Denis and I were, were always talking about that. We were always talking about the little town where he grew up in in, in in Canada and the little suburb that I grew up in, in Melbourne and, you know, the middle America um, or the small towns in, in yeah, the US that, that, that just don't get that level of um, uh, money invested into their cinema. IMAX also, and everybody has a different reaction to it. There's something that I think about in this film where um, it's almost, you know, sometimes when you're in, in, a, in a proper IMAX theater, um, and, but also with that large format, it's almost too much to take in. And it feels like it, 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 right in that sense of uh, that sense of where one's eye goes. And there's a feeling of beyond, you know, the, you know, versus like um, scanning a frame and taking it all in. It feels as like that might be some part of what we're talking about here is, is um, uh, I don't know if vastness is that world, but that, that, that sense of it, of it stretching beyond what I can see. Right. Well, this is where I think I'm, well, I mean, we could debate, we could, with five different people, we could debate the, the pros and the cons of a, of something like an IMAX theater, you know, like if done well, you know, IMAX frames are simple and, 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 and uncluttered and basic, you know, that that's a very simple way of saying that you don't want your audience spending too long looking at the corner of your frame. You know, you don't want them looking up top left. Meanwhile, bottom right, there's something happening. Like that suddenly there's they're going to be people getting whiplash and, you know, not enjoying the experience of the absorption of sitting in that theater. Um, so this is where, you know, our approach to, to IMAX was we tried to simplify the frames as much as we could, or I did particularly also with my lighting as well, to try and simplify 
frames as much as I could, yet still get to the heart of what the scene wants. Um, and by doing so, hopefully, and again, I'm, I'm, I'd love to hear comments on this, like hopefully by doing that, we've been able to give this, uh, the, the viewers that absorption of, of story and experience. Well, I think playing off that, you know, everybody is talking about scale and scope, but I, when I first saw it, the thing that's, and it, that's very much present, um, the thing that struck me was the intimacy of the film and, and, the, and, and the intimacy of the camera and, and, and the characters. And yet in context of the fact that Dune in and of its nature is, is very much a story about man and environment and man being small and, you know, it's like there's a, the relationship between man and environment just by the nature of Dune, regardless of what you and Denis does, it has, it, there's a certain, there's a certain, it has a certain thing to say about it that you have to figure out what to do visually. But it's, 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 it's interesting to hear you say this because I don't, I don't know if this is bridging the gap with it, but there's also an intimacy in this story. There's an intimacy with the camera and the characters, but there is also a sense of these characters in that larger environment. And it feels to me like all these framing choices and even coverage is, is to a certain degree. And maybe even these discussions of formats are, are finding a way to bridge that gap. I don't know if I just made that more complex than it is, but it, it does it does work on both fronts to a degree to me. No, I mean by saying it by saying it consciously, you've absolutely made it more more complicated than it actually is. Because it, it's a it, for us, what it became was a subconscious um, decision making process. But yeah, by 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 being uh, by verbalizing it, it, it sounds more complicated than actually it really is. It's like for me the. The, the, the story centers around singular characters in, together and apart and, and from each other and as a group. So every decision that we make sort of stems from that and the world that's outside that just happens to take place. I mean, we, we didn't really look into films per se as reference as such. You know, we didn't watch sit down and watch Lawrence of Arabia, for example, which would in theory be an interesting reference point because it's, it's yeah, I mean, it's different, of course, different story, but it like it's quite singular at times about a man, you know, about a single person. So, you know, that there's that, that film does that particularly so well. It, it has, it concentrates on his character, but it also opens up other characters and this world, this bigger world. So, you know, it, it becomes a bit of a subconscious thing, you know, like I think that there are decisions that are, are made through communal, um, knowledge of film and cinema that when we're sitting there, we don't go, ah, oh, okay. You know, we didn't talk about, you know, um, apocalypse now, for example, we never talked about apocalypse now, but I've, I've, you know, heard some similarities to the introduction of the Baron to Kurtz. And I'm like, Oh, it's wow. Interesting. That's a, that's really interesting. Cause you're right. <laughs> you're right. But there was, we didn't never ever looked at those as reference. And, I don't put that down to the fact that we got lucky because we didn't. Of course, we're influenced by every single great piece of cinema that's happened before us and we've seen. And, you know, in 50 years, people are going to be influenced by the 50 years of cinema leading up to that point. So, yeah, I've probably made the answer a little more complicated than I need to as well. But subconsciously was kind of the, was the, was the answer to that question. Interesting that you brought up Lawrence of Arabia because it's um, one thing that this film is also is is a different type of desert film. What what you what you and Denny wanted from the desert was quite different um, than 
you know, not that all deserts are the same, but, you know, I think one automatically thinks sheltering sky, Lawrence of Arabia, and, and, a, and a certain polarized, clear look. I'm wondering if you talk a little bit um, first about what what was it that you you both wanted this desert to feel like? And then what did that mean in terms of um, the choices that you that you both made? Denis was, Denis was quite clear on the desert that he imagined and dreamt of, you know, and that desert wasn't that, you're right, because there are a zillion deserts that have existed on film since since Year Dot. I think it's probably the most popular filming location in history probably. But um, And so I, I remember getting a, a whole ton of desert references. You know, I was going through them the other day actually when I was looking for other references. And I was like, oh, wow, look at those shots. Yeah, like look, look at those. Like just going, that is so not our movie. Like those references were so far off the mark. But what was good about seeing them was that we actually could like knock out any um, any desert looks that we didn't like. But but Denis really was quite precise with that though at the same time. Like he he felt that the skies needed to be grey. He felt that the, the, the ground needed to be like and a not a very rich yellow, you know, like it was a very clear vision that he had that we needed to visualize. We needed to prove either through references or through proof of concept with, with our, with our test that we'd shot. So some of that came from building a, a LUT that, you know, Photocam was our lab on this and Photocam also have a, a, a film, a film lab where they can do skip bleach bypass we did a test on skip but skip bleach bypass to you know to increase the contrast make the sky white or gray um and it was really good but it, it looked like it was a skip beach uh, skip bleach bypass you know it looked like what it was so what we had the the luxury to be able to do is they have the luxury then to create a lot out of that but only use the highlight range but oh. use the shadow range from another lot that i've got so they can it's the most amazing Frankenstein of technology where, you know, they can create, they can take three or four or five different film stocks and take the, 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 the reds from that, the greens from that, the highlights from that, the shadows from that, the midtones from this, and they can create basically whatever it is that you want. And so through a course of trial and error, we, uh, we used this footage that we'd shot out in the desert and we just kept applying these different LUTs to them and applying and applying and, and changing and altering. And, you know, it, it, we end up with a, a look that we were after. So it was really um, qu- quite a quite a really interactive experience building that LUT and coming up with a look, which, to be frank, was not a look that we'd ever found on a reference. So I couldn't just hand it to the colorist and Dave, the colorist, and say, hey, make it look like this <laughs> because it didn't exist. I mean, I'm sure you could find references now that we've seen it, but um, it just it did not exist. And that was the fun part. Not that all desert movies are the same, but in general, it, there tends to be a, uh, a sharpness, right? Uh, kind of um, even though not all these deserts and movies are, are welcoming places, um, there tends to be a vividness. And it feels like maybe, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, What not only in terms of the representation of color, but there's also something about... Um, less of a sharpness, a sense of a, 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 the place is inhospitable, but it also feels like it's, um, 
you can never quite get a grasp on your guy's desert, if, if that makes any sense, in that, in that way that like a widescreen frame of, of Lawrence of Arabia feels. Um, I, I, I don't know. Those were my words to describe it, but is, is that correct? Like a sense of like an oppressive kind of like not vivid place? Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the, 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 the ways that I kind of described it to a few people and also saw it myself was, you know, there, there, there are times when you're in Los Angeles, if you're in Beverly Hills and it's early afternoon and the, 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 the haze is burnt off and it's super clear and everyone's wearing sunglasses and, you know, it's that classic kind of like sharpness, like you said, blue sky, green grass, palm trees swaying, you know, the, 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 the stuff of 1980s serial, uh, you know, serials, TV shows, introductions, like that sort of world. But then there are other times, maybe earlier in the morning, where you've got the, the haze in and you're looking, you know, in certain directions and the place feels like it's got this kind of malaise that sits in and around it. It's like a spirit unto itself. And I love that about Los Angeles, you know, and, and that for us, I wanted the desert to feel like that. There's that particular time, and people from LA maybe wouldn't know what we're talking about, but there is a time when you're sort of near the ocean, you know, even inland five, four or five miles, where the, the, the haze is like just sitting there. Like it's not, it's not, you're not in cloud, you're not in some like magical cloud, but it's still sitting there. Everything's softened, everything's just a bit kind of like a bit hazy. Haze is the probably the best the best term for it. Um, and that's the look that we wanted to get because we wanted it to be a bit hazy. We wanted it to be a little bit kind of unlike the deserts that we've seen in, you know, all of our Star Wars films that we've seen or shot or, you know, or Lawrence of Arabia or, you know. So, yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a big thing. And, I, and I, I love that look in L.A. And I'd love to do a movie in L.A. <laughs> with that look, to be honest with you. So if anyone's got anything. I'll give you my and stay, and stay and stay and stay home close to home and the kids, right? Exactly. exactly. Um, before we leave the desert, I, I gotta it's 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 one of the scenes and um, that really just stand stands out for me. That arrival at um, what is it, Calderon? You know, in the ship landing, and I mean, I, I'm that feeling of what it's like to come to this place and get off that ship. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about um, some of these things that we're talking about in context of the scene, because it's, it's, it's just, it's one of those things that just feels almost overwhelming uh, in, in a way that you relate to these characters and how you guys film that. Yeah. So basically, I mean, that was, we played the interior of the ship in the dark. This, this is what I love about Denis, as much as anything, as much as an amazing storyteller this guy is, um, like he is gutsy enough to, to stage a, a traveling scene in a spaceship pretty much in the dark like there was a set there i will just point out there was a little set there but it wasn't a big elaborate kind of interior space station set it was super simple and we just played on their faces as much as possible do you know what i mean we played on their their faces in anticipation we played on lady jessica under a veil we played on paul we played on gurney like and then when that door opens that was obviously we we wanted to reveal this planet on the face of our characters, particularly Paul, you know. So, as the door starts to open, you have this 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 light start to peek through and hit them, and then it 
lights him and as it's lighting him this gust of wind comes in and I remember that was really we tried very hard to get the timing of that right where you have the you know the the the, the light and the, the the wind hit so you believe that basically there's just this vacuum being sucked from the outside that's pulling in all of this sand and spice and heat and brightness and you know everything that we didn't have in in Caladan which is their old planet and um we wanted it to be bright. We needed it to be bright. We needed it to be like garishly and hot and the opposite of where they've been. So by playing them in the dark as they come in, um, it just helped that contrast. And again, I, I, I don't know. I love, I love Denise boldness, you know, to play, to play scenes in it with very little uh, context because sometimes you don't need context and he's a master of knowing, you know, when you don't need context. Uh, kind of a, two part question here um in terms of the color because you know it's it I want to talk about some of um the Zendaya, Zendaya dream stuff and the and the way you photograph her because there's but I feel like that's informed to a certain degree by what's happening in color and and to a certain degree what you're kind of denying the audience in color so that there are moments like these dreams or when gr the color green appears that really pops. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of um, some of those ideas about um, color and, and then those moments where it really is contrast, the ones that instantly pop into my head or some of the beautiful lighting you did of the dream sequence. One of the things that, that if you, again, go, going back to that haze idea, that, that kind of everything is 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 sand blown and sand parched and uh, wind blown and wind part like is that what happens is that the the the, the colors um, get sucked out you know and whilst we did have color in costumes of course and you know and um, there is there is definite color in there we tried quite hard to to make sure that you know it all sat within a certain tonal range like it all it never popped it never sort of peaked beyond beyond a certain level and you know i i think that's a that's a bold move for a filmmaker again i go back to denise boldness and, and applaud him for that because it allows us so that when certain colors come in you know i can think of you know jessica's red dress when she's in the in the great hall i can think of like you said um charney's dream sequence what i can think of the the, the plants in the biolab like there are times where the where the, the the color pops and it's like it's a it's a beautiful respite. Um, respite's not the right word. It's a it's a beautiful adjunct to this kind of muted tonal world that has been set up in advance. There's also, I mean, you know, we tried. There were times, like for example, in the in the ornithopter, um, that we played a certain green color, you know, for for a sort of a green night flying light. Um, but again, those colors are all super simple. Do you know what I mean? We didn't suddenly go green with a hint of red and then a bit of blue. It's like, oof, that would have been that would have been nasty. I mean, we I think we had a red flashing tail light on the back of the awning, and I think we had a a, a bit of blue um, atmosphere um, outside, but it was like super muted. So again, trying to get little pops of color without again losing our our sense of kind of of our aesthetic. Because there's also a sense when when those colors do pop. And you do feel it. There's there, there's an element here of what you're being denied. Do you know some of this? Like, there's so much in these imageries, but there's also so much of what the the choices of what you're denying and what you're not putting in there. That to, and it feels you know it feels like color is a big part of that. And so those dreams do become almost more alluring with, with, with her, right? 
Yeah, but but and then also it speaks to you know the the another underlying story tone, uh, which is the the destruction of a planet. You know, destruction of a planet by outsiders who 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 pillage the whole planet for its natural resources and whilst not worrying about the local inhabitants. I mean, you know, it says a lot. There's obviously undertones here, there and everywhere for the story in the first instance. So, you know, I think that's what it's it that that's what's really interesting and, and fun to to play on, to do that in a visual sense. In context of all the stuff that we've been talking about with the outside, let's talk first big picture about what it needed what what the idea was for it to feel like inside this fortress. Um lots of interesting choices, a lot of incredible production design, but I'm wondering just kind of big picture in the sense of what this world is that's out there and and also the impending doom that seems to be coming. What what was that sense of the what that environment should feel like and that was kind of the guide of of then creating the language of being in there yeah i mean basically it, it was the biggest i think the, the the line in the book was that it was the biggest structure that that man had ever built i think that was the that was the description of the of the residence um but the idea and this is a conceptual thing from from patrice first and foremost because patrice had spent quite a lot of time working on uh, working on this project in advance, and that was that um, there is no direct light. This this is a bunker from from the horrors that exist on the outside. This is a bunker from the from the heat, from the light, from the sand. You know, every every problem out there, it's a bunker from, which means that you know, in order to self regulate, it doesn't have direct sun. It doesn't have you know, um, it, tr- it tries never to get direct sun. So there are light shafts that have bounced light, but are direct bounced light, if that makes sense. Um, and there are these little slits for windows, sort of like gun turrets, but they're not really gun turrets. They're purely just stopping, um, they're allowing you a view outside, but without sort of ha- having the outside exposed into you. So it posed, it posed a, a, a dilemma, like whenever you're faced with a set, that doesn't have windows or doesn't have natural um, motivation for lighting, then you've got to come up with a motivation. And I don't know, I think that, you know, as a team, we all kind of figured something out. And I think hopefully we got the residents looking, looking good and in keeping with the story. In that sense, even though it's big, there's a sense of a, there's a there's a sense of and her work here is amazing because there's a sense of oppressiveness a sense of the weight of a structure to a certain degree and it feels like both your lens but also needing um, your lens in collaboration with her production design but also the lighting is built into it right it's practical or even beyond those light shafts it's kind of all got to be built into the production design to a certain degree right to a certain degree although there was no there was no lights um this was a sort of a difference between other sci-fi products and this one films i should say is that there was actually no lights built into any of the sets oh really um for them for the for the most part i mean i'm trying to think of something that i might embarrass myself for and uh, but there was no there were no lights like in 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 a Star Wars. You might have practical strips of light everywhere. This doesn't doesn't have that. We had um, suspender lights, which are lights that follow the actors around and follow the actors. Sorry, follow the characters around. But we didn't have lights built into the set. That the, the the lights when they weren't being used weren't there. They just they disappeared. So. Um, 
No, no, that's the thing. It was like a medieval mansion and everything had to be motivated from from the windows. And we had massive sets, just you can tell from from the, the film. We had massive sets and to try and light massive sets is, <laughs> ooh, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. But you know what? We, we had a great collaborative experience. Everybody, <clears throat> everybody chipped in and we got the lights that we wanted that did, would do the job. We had to ship them in from other countries. You know, the, the our, our great rental house, um, Ari and MBS, helped us with the lights and get them and source them. And no, I mean, it was super collaborative. Everybody wanted to help on this. Everybody wanted to be a part of it. So the fact that everybody was was a huge bonus and helped us uh, achieve the goal. Because there's a little bit, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, I know there's the light shaft idea, but there's a little bit here, right, where obviously what happens in here can and does get a little trippy at times. It does, you do enter different kind of psychological spaces, but there's also a sense of when we are talking about this beyond those light shafts, there's, you know, often I think a cinematographer such as yourself or any cinematographer, they're thinking about the motivation of the light and where it is. And to a certain degree, and that's that even that's in our life, that's in our world. You know, it's where I'm sitting right now. And it's where you're sitting right now. The light is doing something. And so you have life to be inspired from. And in this case, it's like a little bit of a blank slate, right? And there's the room to go a little trippy. It, it, it's, I, I, that's a, I want, I imagine a wonderful playground, but also, um, it's working a little bit differently now to a certain degree of, 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 yeah. of almost like painting a little bit more than, you know, in, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but it feels, it also just feels like how trippy it could get in there too is also welcoming in all these possibilities. Right. Yeah. I mean, there, I think there were limit in my mind, there were some limitations to what it had to be in that. Like uh, there was, there was a few kind of lighting ideas that Patrice had brought to me from his references that he'd found that that we weren't able to achieve. And I won't explain what those are because they may play again in some point in the future. They might play, so I won't sort of spoil anything. But um, you, a lot of it had to be motivated from the real world, like you said, from outside. But given the fact that the real world is lighting through walls that are, you know, five metres thick, then, yes, you could definitely have some fun with those. Um, you know, we had some fun with the, 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 um, the, the tree that, that Paul hides in when he's being, uh, searched for by the hunter seeker. You know, we, we had a, a video projector that was projecting tree limbs onto his face and he was able to walk through this little tree, which was, yes, also being able to be really have some fun with, with lighting. So yeah, there was a, there was a good opportunities there. I mean, it was, that's why, like for me, it was, it was a, was a dream job. That's why I've been hankering to talk about it all this time because, um, you know, there's so many, so many aspects to this film that, that for me were super exciting. That escape scene in the night, it, it's some of the most gorgeous stuff you've ever done. And I'm wondering if you talk a little bit about uh, that kind of the escape and kind of turning away from the worm and this, it's kind of getting dark. Um, it's a, it's a stunning scene. It was a, that was a classic case of a production posed issue or an issue posed in, in the script where you've got people trekking across the, 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 the desert at night. You know, it, there are so many ways you can do that. And from a, like, do you put lights up? Do you put big soft boxes? Do you put balloons? Do you shoot day for night? Like every production's done it differently. And so I pulled a ton of references for Denis and we talked about 
the best way and said, okay, if we stage a scene at dusk for night, here's what it means. We're going to have, you know, 30 minutes every dusk or dawn. And, you know, what I loved about Denis' approach was that he went, let's do it. Let's do it that way. And let's, you know, we'll get up every morning. We'll, we'll work for three hours. We'll go back to bed for two hours. We'll get up again. Like we, and in Abu Dhabi, we did that. We did split days where we got up super early and we worked in the morning and the evening. And we managed to shoot, I think, 12 dusks and dawns or something like that in the, in the case of, you know, six days, which doubled our amount of, of shooting opportunities. And I think everybody loved it. I mean, you know, when the, when the alarm went off at 3.30 in the morning, I think everybody for the first time went, oh, what, are you joking? But then, you know, when they got to go back to bed at 9 o'clock and swim in the pool at midday and go back out again at 3, like, it for us, it was the end of a movie, but what was more important was it was actually sort of tying up and culminating this entire story into a nice little you know, nice little bow that we, we, you know, as far as experience goes was fantastic, but also this relationship journey with uh, with Jessica and, and, and Paul. And the light you get at that hour in that desert is just insane, <laughs> I guess, you know. Oh, it's yeah. incredible. 